Hey there, welcome to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast. Thanks for stopping by. Today we're talking fair fashion with Cara Smythe. Cara has been working as a leader in the fashion industry for many years, starting in sales and working her way up to serve as president of Jill Sanders America, a director of Burberry and the CEO of Menachetti International in Milan. Today, Cara is an executive board member and the vice president of the Glasgow Caledonian University in New York, and is also the passionate founder of the university's Fair Fashion Center. We enjoyed this in-depth conversation about the complex world of fashion. We learned about how the Fair Fashion Center is changing industry perceptions and turning sustainability into an opportunity. We hope you get as much out of this as we did. There's lots to be positive about, so let's jump in. Cara, thank you so much for joining us on our show. We're so pleased to have you here. How are you today? I'm terrific. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to talk with you. So to kick things off, Cara, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your background. Where were you born and where did you grow up? Yeah, so uh, you could probably hear by the accent that I grew up in New York, (laughs) (laughs) which somehow that New York accent never leaves you. But I would say I'm a bit of a hybrid model. Uh, I lived 15 years in Europe, three years in Germany and 12 kind of I would say based in Italy, but often back and forth to London during that time. So I'm a kind of new New Yorker back here about uh, seven years now. Okay. Have things changed much at all? I think so. You know what? I think New York is a gentler place actually post 9-11, which is interesting. And uh, I think, you know, the more the world is interconnected and the more we all feel kind of overwhelmed by emails and information, generally New Yorkers that are known to be kind of a tough crowd, I think everybody is more collaborative as the world changes. That's very interesting. And your studies, that was in the US? Yes. My studies were in the US. Yes. Okay. And you did, is that a BA in apparel marketing? It is. Long time ago. Goodness me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's clear that you're very passionate about the fashion industry. I wonder if you can yeah, go all the way back in time and recall how and when you began to develop that passion. Was it a specific moment or was it a gradual interest that uh, developed over time? I think there's a few things about fashion. I think lots of times us fashion folks get a bad rap uh, as being superficial. But I think what is quite interesting about fashion and always has been for me is that aesthetics influence the spirit. You know, where you see something that is lovely or not, I mean, aesthetics in both directions influence the spirit. It can change how you feel. And I think fashion really influences how we interact with people. Uh, It also really influences in many ways more than itself because it reflects and I would even say drives cultural change. So the expressions of what we all put on and why we all put put those things and choose those things, uh, I think is way more impactful than than uh, probably I realized a long time ago when I made the decision to get into the business. And now as it links us to sustainability, one in every six people in the world are said to work in a fashion-related business. So it's even more interesting because it's quite powerful in many ways. No kidding. One in six people. Yeah. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. I had no idea. And so, so you've built up this enviable career over time as a, as a leader in a Goliath industry. How did your career start and what, what were the key elements of that evolution for you? Yeah, so uh, I started um, originally in sales. You know, my passion is kind of to build brands, businesses and teams kind of a thing. That's what I really like to do. Uh, I started at Yugo Boss lots, many, many years ago. 
uh, in the United States working in wholesale sales. And through some folks at Yuga Boss, I was lucky enough to meet people at Jill Sander, which is a high-end minimalistic fashion company based in Hamburg, Germany, and was able to get a job there as Jill Sander, which was predominantly a women's collection back then, moved into menswear, Yuga Boss being menswear. I got recruited and was able to get some amazing international experience. I worked six years for Jill Sander, three actually in Hamburg, and then I get, got sent home to open offices here in New York and became president of Jill Sander in America. Uh, that kind of led me to meet somebody who was the president of Saks Fifth Avenue at the time and then became the president of Burberry. And Burberry was really looking to do a turnaround strategy from kind of the staid, stuffy old English Czech brand that it was into what it is now, which is a democratic luxury goods company where there is no more target age range like there used to be. It's not only high price in the store, it's kind of a mix of high and low and all different ages can shop together. And so I moved in between Italy and the UK and became part of that turnaround strategy for Burberry, which was amazing. Um, another key step, you know, it's, it's always kind of interesting because I, I say to a friend, my career kind of evolved like Forrest Gump <laughs> <laughs> and that friend always says, you shouldn't say that, but you know, life is windy and different things happen and you see kind of obstacles in businesses and ways to build brands. So while I was at Burberry, I moved kind of a bit from lots of sales side, uh, running P&Ls and developing businesses into really understanding how to run fashion shows and even more into the manufacturing side. So things kind of shifted there, which was very interesting. Uh, and then the creative director of Burberry wanted to launch his own brand. So then I ended up writing business plans and raising capital, which was kind of a yet another step on the windy road. Um, and that business was successful for about three or four years. Uh, and then an, an investing partner actually passed away and threw that business kind of upside down. What I always say about a career is you learn more on the way down probably when you have to dismantle a brand than you do when you build it. But I've had experiences on both sides, so it was super interesting. Lots of different circumstances moved back to New York and now have taken on GCNYC and the Fair Fashion Center. Sounds like an absolute mouthful. You've got experience in every different facet of, of the industry. I'm curious to know what initially sparked your interest in sustainability and marrying that with fashion? Mm. So that's... Uh as things tend to be, you know, sometimes there are personal and professional collisions in life that spark lots of thinking. So uh, my mom was unwell and I decided to move back from Europe to New York. And that kind of left me with some time on my hands to decide what should the future of my career look like. And I was actually interviewing with two big fashion companies, one that wanted to do more of a turnaround strategy and somebody else that wanted to move kind of away from accessories and into more doing clothing and apparel. And in those interviews, I kept thinking, gosh, isn't there a higher purpose in this industry and uh, kind of praying in interviews that I didn't get the job, which is kind of a, a flag that maybe you're not standing where you should be standing. Sure. And this was just around the time of the Rana Plaza factory fire, which you may remember, which was in Bangladesh. Yeah. It was yeah. in a factory fire where so many people were killed. And I kept thinking, probably, as I said, a collision of factors, but you know, we all have more and more visibility into 
what are the conditions that folks live in all around the world. Um, the science of you know, the environmental planetary boundaries are now clear. We all understand social and livelihoods issues on some level and you know, varying degrees, but, and also environmental issues. So all of those things together kind of led me to, to question, is it possible that a business approach to solving what are generally nonprofit problems, uh, would it be possible to kind of untangle fashion's impacts and reduce them if we took a business approach to those things? And that's right around the time that Glasgow Caledonian University was opening a campus in New York. Our amazing chancellor is Professor Yunus, who is one of only seven in the world to have won Nobel Peace Prize, Congressional Gold, and Presidential Medal of Freedom, along with Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, and so on, these illustrious seven. And Professor Yunus, being Bangladeshi, where Rana Plaza happened, asked me at that time, could fashion ever be a force for good and deliver on the United Nations goals? They were opening a campus here in New York, and so that's with kind of on the, on the heels of that amazing question. Uh, and when one in seven in the world asks you if something is possible, you know, it's kind of the greatest challenge in the world. Yeah. And so I was lucky enough to be able to try to step into that and see if a business approach to redesigning the fashion industry from the inside out kind of would be possible. That sounds like a mammoth undertaking. <laughs> I mean, I could just imagine that conversation. It must have been quite interesting with Mr. Yunus. Yes. <laughs> frightening. Yes. I always say I generally live between being thrilled and terrified with the work that I'm doing. So. <laughs> uh, I can imagine. Um, now, we read an article about you in Marie Claire in 2016, which cited, and indeed also the Fair Fashion Center's website also cites this, that the fashion business is responsible for 85% of textiles that end up in landfills, about 21 billion tons, and also for about 10% of the global carbon emissions. So I understand that the fashion industry can be super segmented in a bunch of ways. You've got the luxury on one side, and you've got the mass, and you've got you know, the low cost. But it seems to me, and perhaps it's the relatively recent media attention that's given me this impression, but over the last 10 plus years, fashion for the masses has really moved into this cheap, fast model, which has become quite destructive from an environmental and human rights standpoint. Do you think this overconsumption of cheap clothes has been the main driver of these scary statistics or are there other factors at play? Uh, you know what? I think that there are a lot of factors at play and obviously fast fashion is uh, has its significant responsibility in the piece. But, you know, it's when I first started to learn early on about what we always call kind of fashion's bad numbers around here. Lots of people believe we're the second highest polluting industry behind oil and gas. It may be if we take agriculture out and say, although we're having wool and cotton and lots of other things that are coming from agriculture, but that's not our industry, we might dr drop down to, let's say, number five. But in any case, we're in the top five highest polluting industries. And as we were learning about kind of fashion's bad numbers, um, we also were thinking a lot, well, where are the impacts coming from? You know, if you look at fast fashion, that's generally quite collect connected to the millennials. And thinking about those influences, I would say that social media has a huge influence on the way that people live today. 
so mm. many folks, especially the younger ones, are living their lives through photographs and they don't always want to appear in the same outfit on their Instagram feed. They've worn those clothes before. So on one side, I think younger folks, I don't want to say are more conscious. I think we are all more conscious regardless of how old we are because we have better information today. So I don't think the millennials are more aware. I think we all are. But particularly the younger generation is into this kind of use and chuck mentality as if that's somehow okay when it isn't. But I really feel it's a general responsibility for years and years in the fashion industry. Um, unfortunately, probably we all grew up in the industry not understanding what the impacts were. You know, we kind of sent out disassembled parts and they came back assembled into fashion. Uh, the speed of it is definitely a problem. Many folks are delivering new collections every six weeks. So there's more and more product, more and more than of a rush through the supply chain, which creates a whole host of problems. Um, but I wouldn't blame it only on fair fashion. I think the whole fashion system is responsible. Um, however, I don't think any of us are going to take on and correct capitalism in the short term. And I think business actually has a huge opportunity and the fashion companies are really starting to set the trend of change on profitability and sustainability. So I feel very proud to be part of the fashion industry right now, seeing what's happening, which is, I think, amazing, uh, because there's a real conscious movement to say, how can we create collective impact? How can we redesign ourselves from the inside out, being aware of what we're aware of today? Um, and fashion, strangely, is very often the first step out of poverty. If you think about agriculture, manufacturing and retail, it's generally the first place where folks can enter the workforce. So uh, yes, we have responsibilities. Yes, we've done a lot of damage. And yes, we're also an amazing opportunity to create change. And I think more and more there is that trend of change happening in our industry, which is very exciting. Super exciting. I saw an interview with you on Bloomberg where you talked about the four major sort of most offending uh, attributes of the industry that the Fair Fashion Center is going to be tackling. For the benefit of the listeners, would you mind giving us a rundown of what those worst offending attributes are? So that's very interesting, actually. That Bloomberg interview was a couple of years ago. And in fact, we started all of our efforts at the Fair Fashion Center tightly aligned with CEOs who were not very much engaged, actually, in the sustainability conversation. Several years ago, sustainability was... I would say kind of stuck in CSR departments or corporate social responsibility departments. And the idea of sustainability was not being integrated across all business units in companies. And I think that was a huge problem. You know, the United Nations is calling on corporate statesmanship, that businesses should help solve the world's problems. And they have a wonderful 2030 agenda, the Sustainable Development Goals, which is 17 goals, but super abstract. You know, we all feel great about underwater life. We all feel great about partnerships for the peace. We all feel great about gender equality. But where is the how-to guide? How do we actually take a holistic view of what fashion should look like and then break it down into its sub-businesses 
Um, and from looking at the sub-businesses of fashion, from agriculture to transportation to chemicals to working conditions um, to end of life and circular on, on various products and so on, from how does finance play a role, we really understood that we needed to operationalize systemic change by changing something in each of the 16 sub-businesses that drive fashion. So we started with four, we landed with 16, because even the power of celebrity and marketing in fashion can drive change towards sustainability, as can finance, agriculture, chemicals, energy, all of those industries that roll up into fashion need to be addressed if we're going to be able to really shift and redesign the whole industry. I love that. Take a holistic approach to the whole thing. That leads on to my next question. I understand that Professor Muhammad Yunus, who is the esteemed Nobel Prize winner, he issued the challenge on which the Fair Fashion Center is based, which is how can fashion be an instrument of sustainable development? And I was curious to ask you, and, and you've just alluded to this now, if we were to start again and design the industry from scratch with a blank sheet of paper, what are the one or two major changes that you would make first? Um, I guess that's an interesting question because I'm so busy redesigning what we've got that I you know, it's it's kind of funny, you know, when we try to imagine end to end, so thinking all the way from agriculture and so many of fashion's impacts obviously are in the early stages, way back in the supply chain from agriculture, converting raw materials into fabrics, into leather and so on. Then you've got manufacturing transportation. If you take it all the way from end to end, uh, what I always say is my dream would be to remove the environmental impacts of fashion and rebalance social equity throughout the supply chain end to end. Uh, so that's really what I imagine it can be. You know, if there's regenerative agriculture and renewable energy and we're finding ways to remove chemicals from the industry, I think we can all imagine what a great force for good fashion could be. Uh, but I what I would say there is, I think currently there are kind of four big factors that are allowing the redesign of the current situation we have. And there is, a, I would say, a collision of priorities, which is making it an amazingly interesting time. The finance community, uh, we work really closely with the folks at Bloomberg and SASB, which is the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. And investors are starting to say, hey, you know, we can see in your supply chain. And because of that, we want to know what your material business risks are. We want you to report be reporting on environmental, social and governance issues or ESG issues, as they're called on the Bloomberg terminals. So lots of folks like Larry Fink, Bill McNair, big investors in fashion and other companies and other businesses are saying, we can see. So that's driving change. There's the Amazon effect, which kind of sat down on fashion and is forcing a resizing and reshaping of retail. Consumers are saying they care. And now we have the technology to drive transparency and traceability. So uh, we're not starting fresh, but I think we are starting to really look at what a healthy industry and a happy industry can look like for the future. And that is amazingly exciting. That sounds like there's a lot being done. I think it's, I mean, my world, when I've been looking out for fashion 
over the last few years, I've found that a lot of these more ethical or sustainable or perceived to be ethical, sustainable brands are the smaller sort of more niche players. But it's really nice to know that there is something happening at the big business level. I actually wanted to touch on that point with you, Cara. I read that the founder of Patagonia, Yvonne Chonard, stated that fashion can never truly be sustainable. And indeed, to be sustainable, we need to stop consuming today. And this is kind of resonating with me a little bit because I love fashion. I've always really been a massive fashion person. I even did a year of fashion school at nighttime while I was doing my business degree. But over the last few years, I've become completely disillusioned with the industry. And I've just found that consuming fashion feels to me like it's a a sin, if you like. And, And so in 2017, I actually didn't buy a single item of clothing the whole year. And it made me think that if, if there is this challenge from Mr. Eunice to use fashion for an instrument of sustainable development, that could be a really nice way from a consumer perspective to get back on board with, you know, something that you enjoy, the fashion industry that you like, um, but also to, to create positive change in the world. And I was interested to know from your perspective, to what extent is it our responsibility as consumers to drive this change through how we feel about these things? I'm going to say something which is probably politically incorrect, but it's what I found. I think that many consumers, I believe the the numbers are something like 63 or 67% of consumers say that they care about ethical and sustainable fashion. And when I'm talking about ethical and sustainable fashion, I think that what what has to be sort of separated out is a lot of the younger, small, amazing brands that are doing things in organic cotton and so on um, is fantastic. More this, you know, an artisan approach and a new approach to it. But I think actually all fashion has to be profitable and sustainable. So um, I, I guess I feel that as much as the consumers are saying that they care, they don't actually shop like they care. At the end of the day, you know, you see even in food, people are wandering up and down the food aisle. And if it's, well, you know, is it free range? Is it organic? Is it whatever it is? Are you willing to pay more for it? And in the end of the day, consumers choose what they like and what they want. And that may be based on beauty because a product is lovely. It may be based on price. So in my view, I don't think that we can count on changing human behavior. I don't think we can count on, um, fighting capitalism. What I do think we should count on rather is businesses making better products so consumers have a choice to choose better product. I don't think it's up to the individual to wander the aisles so much and say, which out of the sea of what's there is what's correct. So uh, in my mind, I think it's, you know, I'm thrilled when consumers are helping. I think Moving to a more ethical fashion business in general is kind of like acupuncture, right? It takes lots of folks putting in lots of different needles along the chain in order to release the problems that we have uh, and allow things to flow in a better way. So I think consumers are a needle. I just think, let's say where we're positioned at Fair Fashion Uh, We're very, very well positioned to move the business needle, to move big business in the direction of profitability and sustainability, in the direction of changing practices, in the direction of removing kind of the paralysis of, well, the problem's so big, so I'm not going to engage in it at all, uh, but rather break it down into bits, into something which is bite-sized and digestible in all of the various businesses of fashion, as I said. And we should do it for our customers, so they're choosing healthier and more sustainable and environmentally correct products that preserve the dignity of everybody throughout the the value chain. 
That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and that actually leads very nicely into into the next section, which Lyle's going to chat to you about, the role of big business. And just to comment on that, Cora, I think it's incredibly hard to change human behavior at a critical mass such that it will actually move the needle, unlike big business that can do so by finding out new ways to improve efficiencies. And so when you talk about business, big business and, and big retail companies, they it sounds like your opinion is that they have a fair bit of responsibility to shoulder in the face of these challenges. I think that's right. And I think they want to shoulder that responsibility, which is different than what most folks think. Mm. I can agree with that from a consumer perspective. I think the sentiment is is to push out as many clothes and to increase fast fashion as much as possible. And that goes back to the, um, I guess, the dichotomy between uh, sustainability and, and business and how the two can come together. But I wonder if we can, if you could give us a couple of great examples of, of how these big retail companies are making meaningful steps towards these changes. So one of the things which has been very interesting for us is understanding the gaps. So what we recognized is that every community kind of speaks its own language, meaning that the United Nations has its goals, nonprofits have their approach, whether it's on preferred fibers and protecting the farmers or the manufacturing or chemicals and so on. Fashion industry too has its own language, finance has theirs. And we really understood that there was a gap between these languages, the various communities that needed to be translated in order to facilitate big business. So as an example, we were talking to one of the nonprofits that works a lot on preferred fibers, organic cotton, recycled fabrics, and so on. And we kept ending up talking about the farmers. And if you're going to talk to a group of C-suite fashion folks about how are we going to change our industry and use more preferred fibers, the farms are so far back from where we are that we really recognized we needed to kind of each get on a bridge and start walking towards each other. If the farmers are able to work in a practical way with us and say, where are the where are the fibers ginned and spinned and turned into textiles? Where are those things in the value chains of the companies and of the brands? Then the companies and the brands can make educated decisions. But if we keep talking about the farms, which are so far back and away from where we are, that becomes more difficult. So we really recognized we needed to translate the languages and um, provide practical business solutions for business leaders that they could then incorporate. And so at the Fair Fashion Center, we now work with 35 CEOs. They represent 242 brands and about $260 billion in business. That's about 11% of the global industry, but it's really providing practical business solutions. And there are some little ones. Uh, you know, we started out looking at every man's dress shirt uh, every man's shirt has about 16 to 18 pieces of packaging in it, as I'm sure you'll know. And most of the men are quite annoyed when they have to unpack their shirts. And then, <laughs> Very true. <laughs> they all end up with a handful of trash. And we started to say, well, you know, could those shirts be packaged in a different way and remove some of that waste? Because the packaging generally comes from five different countries, different from where the shirt is made. So there's a carbon footprint on top of the packaging itself. And we recognized that that was possible. And, you know, 50 million shirts were kind of instantly changed coming into America on an annual basis. Does that solve climate change? Does that 
go far back where the impacts are had? No, but it made us recognize early on small changes can have big impacts. And then if you look from there and say, wow, you know, these companies are maybe sitting on $20 billion worth of pension fund money. And could everybody opt out of fracking? And what would that look like? What's the signal that we could send to the investment community about the changes that we want to make? Um, and probably for me, one of the most exciting things that we're doing is looking to kind of unite the community around the world to address, heal, and correct fashion's impacts. Uh, and that's with a project that we, has been kind of affectionately nicknamed NOCO for no carbon dioxide or no CO2. Uh, and that is a consumer-facing engagement initiative where all of us, when we're shopping online, we can check a box and say, keep the change for the climate. If you've asked for something through e-commerce, obviously you've got a box, you've got a truck coming, you know, consumers are part of the problem as much as we all like to pretend that we're not. Um, brands can do some matching donations, philanthropy can get in there. And rather than doing kind of simple carbon offsetting or straight carbon offsetting, we're actually going back into fashion supply chain saying, can we convert factories off of diesel use and burning wood and coal and other things? Rather than doing things like Red Plus or um, protecting ancient forests and so on. Let's go back and fix fashion's bad numbers. And uh, part of the savings that will be accrued through those power purchase agreements, we're directing towards livelihoods programs in and around the supply chain. So this means that consumers and brands and factories and the energy world is all coming together, together with education as well, to say, we can fix it and we can change it if we do it in a way that makes good business sense. And that means sometimes kind of getting in between the different groups that need to make change, creating an enabling space um, and facilitating business. You know, lots of folks in the nonprofit world and even in the philanthropy world say, well, why should we help the businesses? We should help the businesses because the businesses really are the corporate statesmen of the world, but they need some help and they need help in their language so that they can adopt new practices. You illustrate the point that there are so many levels to this industry and it would be so easy to get caught up and become dismayed at how grand the problem is but by going through it like you said systematically and choosing areas to tackle and even though they might be small wins they are wins nonetheless and those add up when you talk about 50 million shirts and removing a bunch of plastic pieces, that's a huge amount of plastic and it cannot be understated. I think it's interesting just because it empowered folks to realize, oh, we can do something. You know, if we can do those little, why didn't we do that project? Then we can tack up preferred fibers. Why can't we figure out where the farmers meet us on that bridge? Why can't we figure out where the energy companies are and how they could help make a cleaner and greener supply chain? Because as we said before, you know, kind of the factors of the financial community looking into our supply chain saying, where are the risks? Well, the risks are there. So let's convert those factories to better practices for livelihoods and energy and so on. So it's kind of a collision of priorities. The companies have, the financial community has, consumers have, and underpinning that with technology is really allowing the change to emerge. And do you think some players will get left 
behind financially if they don't make this move or they don't incorporate these sustainable technology improvements and efficiencies? Is it is it more of just an opportunity at this stage or is it becoming a threat if they don't jump on the bandwagon, they're going to get left behind? 100% I think we've hit the tipping point. Since we started Fair Fashion five years ago to now, Uh, As I said, there's a collision of priorities. Financial community wants it. Consumers want it. And the businesses themselves on sort of the moral level of saying we all have a responsibility as corporate leaders to lead. But also they're recognizing that profitability and sustainability go hand in hand. And that's also of critical importance. Sometimes I think, you know, the word sustainability feels sad. It's always, you know, brown trousers, ugly product, tree huggers, it's difficult, we're gonna get in trouble in the press. And if you slide out the word sustainability and you put in the words operating efficiencies, all of a sudden it feels different, you know? And I think then when you say, wow, look at every single business unit and integrate sustainability there and or operating efficiencies there, It smooths out the whole process end-to-end for livelihoods, and it really allows a respectful industry to come forth. I'm curious, Kara, at a really practical level, just because I'm a little bit of a nerd on some of this stuff. The fashion industry, from what I've Googled recently, has come up with a bunch of interesting things, things like recycling plastic and making that into fabric or completely turning their business into a circular economy. From your perspective, what are some of the most exciting things you've seen? So there are two things that we're working on. One is uh, New York obviously has a big trash problem, and sadly, we truck our trash elsewhere uh, to other states. States and we leave our trash in other places. So we're, we too are having a carbon footprint on our trash. Uh, and we're looking at a study of, is it possible to turn local New York trash in the fashion district um, into not just fashion district trash, but turning local New York trash into packaging. So, you know, one of the crazy things that fashion does, all of the shopping bags that have lovely grow grain handles or ribbon or roped handles are generally made in China and Indonesia and shipped into America. And if you would ever close your eyes and imagine all of those shopping bags that are moving back and forth across the ocean, you know, that's kind of horrifying. So a practical project at looking at can we take our local trash and turn it into fashion's packaging so we don't have to move that, I find unbelievably exciting. Um, And Another one which is super interesting, I think very often sustainability is driving innovation. And there is recycled fabric already. You know, there are different things like pile and recycled PET, which turns into nylon again. I think what's missing and part of why fashion doesn't always design itself, particularly on the high end with more luxurious circular fabrics, is there's some engineering missing. Um, You know, when you extrude recycled polyester, it's long and fine and uniform. So that creates only kind of one type of fabric, which is more like a nylon fabric or a polyester fabric kind of a thing, or even pile. But if we really want trash to turn into fashion's new raw material, we need engineering solutions that can create and mimic wool and cotton and cashmere and linen, which are all short, irregular, hairy fibers. They're not long and uniform and fine. And that is, you know, again, you need cross-sector collaborations. You need trash engineers and recycled engineers talking to fabric mills in Italy. And some of that work we've been facilitating, it is super exciting to see what are the challenges and what are the obstacles to actually getting there and how do we remove them again in a very practical sense that will allow new business solutions to emerge. 
Yeah, it sounds like one of the challenges there is, from what I've read recently, the um, the little microfibers, the microplastic fibers coming out when you wash these recycled fabrics. So I guess the engineers really need to get on board and help solve these problems. Yeah, you know, there's some, somebody just sent me something um, that it's possible to actually wash your clothes in a larger bag that captures the microfiber. So that's interesting. Oh, that could Not be that a pretty easy solution. On the front end, but <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of these things seem to me like they could be very simple fixes, but simplicity is quite hard sometimes. Takes the cross-sector collaborations, actually. And I think, again, you know, it takes a blend of wonderful nonprofit language, technology, science, but also it really takes the fashion people in, in the conversation. And I think very often we were left out of the conversation with folks that were trying to resolve our problems. And that doesn't really work because they don't come up with the practical things that we need. And sadly, fashion like no other, which I should probably say happily and sadly, but um, we're hardwired for change because it's not always the same factory. Every six weeks we change product. It's not like Pepsi that we keep making the same thing in the same can. So for these brands and companies to manage their supply chain when the product itself is always changing gives us a problem unlike any other, but also gives us an opportunity unlike any other because we're used to galloping and changing and we should put you know, new procedures in place inside what is already an industry hardwired for change. Um, now, we've talked a little bit about the Fair Fashion Center, but I realize we haven't actually introduced it to the listeners at all. Can you please tell us a little bit about the Glasgow Caledonian University in New York City and the Fair Fashion Center and what their respective missions are? Yes, certainly. So Glasgow Caledonian University is a 143-year-old university from Scotland. We have 20,000 students on seven campuses around the world. Uh, and what's amazing about the university is that in our seal is baked university for the common good. So we like to say we've been in the common good business for a very long time. <laughs> uh, and each of our seven campuses has its own social mission, if you will, under this common good umbrella. So um, we're graduating many women engineers in Oman because we've gone there with our engineering school. We're in Bangladesh with a social business nursing school, graduating nurses in Bangladesh um, because of an issue of midwifery and so on. And in New York in particular, our social mission is really how can we help the conversion of industry towards more sustainable practices? And again, what I would say is we're, we're able to prove the business case for sustainability because we did take this holistic view to imagining what a healthy company and or healthy industry could look like broke it down into bite-sized digestible pieces and that allows us to really operationalize the systemic change that everybody wants to see and lots of us are talking about. Is there a crossover between the education piece and the Fair Fashion Center? Can you do courses in Fair Fashion at the university? I'm loving that you're asking this question. So uh, we actually have, we're starting with master's degrees. Uh, Glasgow Caledonian in New York amazingly became the first foreign university ever to be chartered to award degrees in New York, which is quite amazing that there were no other foreign universities in New York. We think as far as we know that we are the first foreign university ever to receive a charter in all of America. Um, there are lots of folks working here in partnership, but nobody that's been kind of blessed by the Department of Education to give their own degrees. And what's been very interesting in the process of waiting for that charter, we launched the Fair Fashion Center, which is really a research center 
here at the university at Glasgow Caledonian in New York. Uh, and the heavy work with the private sector and the 242 brands and so on that we are collaborating with has fed amazing information into our Masters of Science in International Fashion Marketing, which has a research so focus on fair fashion. Um, we kind of look here at fashion as a force for good, finance and money as a force for good in our impact-focused business and investing masters. And we look at risk as an opportunity in risk resilience and integrity management. The amazing thing is, though, that CEOs and C-suite leaders and the industry is feeding in their problems to us in the collective impact work of the Fair Fashion Center. And our students are doing their research dissertations through applied research, actually helping us to untangle the problems that the industry is providing. So there's this very interesting learning loop which has emerged over the last few years and is super exciting for us. Wow, that's super cool. So if you're someone who loves fashion, you want to get involved in redesigning the future of fashion, you know, setting the benchmark for what the future is going to look like and become a leader in this space, this is the place to be. It's the place to be. And I also think it's the place to really look at uh, because the focus is fashion and finance. So I really think also understanding B Corps, impact investing, social entrepreneurship, uh, microcredit, all of those things that money can do to drive change. You know, if we all look at Mayor Bloomberg and think the transparency of environmental, social, and governance that are on those terminals that the whole investment community looks at. Well, how do we facilitate that? And the UN's PRI, which is Principles of Responsible Investing. The whole finance community has an amazing opportunity to also look at sustainability and also look at systemic change. And I think that's underfoot as well. And that's our other focus here. I would love to do a course like that. It sounds amazing. Now, before we close off, can you give us a couple? I think you've already given us a few great examples, including the, the no CO2. But what are some of the other practical outcomes that have come out of the Fair Fashion Center? Um, so a couple of the things. One of the things we're very excited about, we just talked about why are we involved with fashion and finance. But we've been working very closely with the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board and even the folks at Bloomberg, as I said, to understand what are on those environmental, social and governance screens. And we're starting to do workshops for the fashion community and even also for the finance folks, you know, investor relations, um, the general counsels, financial reporting folks. How can we actually drive transparency in information? You know, how how can there be investment grade information offered by the brands and companies, whether it's retailers or fashion companies. And I think there are lots of frameworks that people can follow from CDP, which is amazing, GRI, which is a, a larger approach to companies' efforts. But SASB in particular really looks at what is it that the financial community wants to know about your environmental, social, and governance practices? So we're teaching a lot of courses on that here, really working closely with those folks to be sure that we're driving sustainability in a way that makes sense because, um, you know, I would like to always count on people's good hearts and values. I think underpinning that with what money can do to drive change kind of helps keep everybody on a certain track and trail. So there's a collision between the financial world, which is very interesting, 
And obviously the other thing happening now is where does blockchain and artificial intelligence come into the piece and how is blockchain really looking at the opportunities to sort of smooth out traceability and transparency from raw materials all the way through to products that are made. And that all I think do again, you know, achieve profitability and sustainability will reduce costs and friction as information becomes more smooth. Um, but it may in time, I hope, allow consumers to see when they're buying something all the way back down into the supply chain. And so what technology is starting to do in some of the projects we're working on is also quite interesting, I think, to, I don't want to say force change, but I guess I will say force change. <laughs> That's so exciting. I actually it was, as you were talking, it came to my mind to ask you about blockchain because we did an interview with Todd Lemons, who started a company called Viridium, who is looking at, at using blockchain to improve the transparency of supply chains in, in trading carbon credits from a Red Plus program. So I was curious to see if that's infiltrated into the fashion industry yet. <laughs> um, you know, we actually... Uh, have a very nice collaboration with IBM. IBM did some interesting work with Walmart on tracing a mango through blockchain. You know, where does it start the packaging facility and all of that kind of a thing? Because obviously in food, there are sensitivities uh, for any company and any anybody in the food and agricultural industries, particularly when things are being consumed, to understand where products are and how could they be pulled off of a shelf eventually if need be. Uh, so there's a very interesting overlap between food and agriculture, obviously, and fashion, because at the at the back end of our supply chains, we all bump into each other there. And so I think this fantastic work that will be done on really looking at what about wool? What about cotton? What about down? And what about viscose? So recycled polyester too. How do we understand where those things are actually coming from so that we all understand better what are we putting on our bodies and what are we wearing? Imagine where the world's going to go to from here. It's just super cool. Isn't it just? I agree. <laughs> Opportunities are endless. Cara, so you're working on a bunch of things. Uh, I might just mention the Sustainability Advisory Board for Marie Claire and running a consulting service called the in-between, and we'd, uh, we'd love to delve into each of these, but just in the interests of time, do you have any major projects that you're excited about for 2018 and beyond? So I'm unbelievably excited to be bringing the Fair Fashion Center to uh, the London campus of Glasgow Caledonian. We will be working there with a whole new group of C-suite and industry leaders. So I'm expecting by the end of this year, the folks that we're working with will represent about 20% of the global industry. And to think that that many people are really starting to look at collective impact rather than every company doing something wonderful, what happens if we move in a more coordinated way? And so the, the mass of just what that, that number means and signifies and the power of what we can do to change is, you know, it kind of leads me to repeat what I said in the beginning. I kind of live between being thrilled and terrified. <laughs> uh, I think that is probably one of the most exciting things that can be happening. That truly is incredibly exciting. And any final words of advice for anyone out there who's wanting to make a change in their organization or their own business towards a sustainable future? Mm. What I would say first is don't lose heart. I think it's easy to say, wow, the problem is so big that it gives me a paralysis, so I'm just not going to take that on. I think imagine, as I said, imagine the business that you want to run. Imagine how you would like to take care of all of those 
people and also the planet as uh, its own entity kind of in your own supply chain, in your own business. And remember how you want to act, you know, just because it's business doesn't mean you can lose your values. And once you put that front and center and say, I'm going to take a common good approach, get informed. You know, there's lots of folks like us that do and offer business advice um, and I would say, don't look at the whole because it's going to give you a paralysis or even an indigestion. Break it down into bite-sized pieces and decide where can you be sustainable. Get get a few successes under your under your wings, kind of a thing, and that'll help you fly forward in a better way. Mm, I love that. Thanks, Cara. And where can people find the Fair Fashion Center and keep in touch and find out more information and become involved? Easiest way is to Google Fair Fashion Center. Um, you can also find us at GCNYC, which is Glasgow, Caledonia, New York City. And obviously I'm on LinkedIn and we love to gather folks together and create a bigger and bigger dialogue because the network of purposeful change makers in the world are more and more and many and many and more we're all connected to each other. It helps accelerate change. Absolutely. Build a community. Cara, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us. We are most grateful for this discussion. Same to you, yeah. Beckett. Thank you so much. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank you, Cara. This is going to have a huge impact, I think, on the world, on the future of fashion in, the, in this world that we have. So, And also on our role as consumers. So thank you so much for that. And we really look forward to seeing you steer those big ships away from the icebergs. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. We're all getting there. Listen, you know, I think there's a lot of good news everywhere. And sometimes, you know, we focus more on the bad. But if you focus on the good, I think it makes people more hopeful and helps folks really to step in and also become those purposeful change makers. So it's fantastic work that you're doing, that you're really amplifying those voices. And I commend you because you're going to be part of a great amount of change. Uh, because I think the more we all recognize the opportunities and the more folks hear about the change that they can actually create, the better it'll be for all of us. So it's uh, an offer of great thanks to you all for the work that you're doing. Thank Thanks you so for your much, time, Cara. Cara. Appreciate that. What a great conversation with Cara. We're certainly inspired by what she and the Fair Fashion Center are doing to future-proof our planet. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll pop all the contact info in the show notes. And as always, any cues, thoughts or comments, drop us a note at sustainablejungle.com forward slash contact or shoot us an email on hello at sustainablejungle.com. See you next time.